Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. Happy Wednesday, podcast people, or whatever day you are listening to us. This is another episode of Because Money. I'm here with the brilliant John Robertson and the incomparable Sandy Martin. And uh, today we are talking about starting a business and all the fun things that come together with that. And we are joined by Jessica Oman from Renegade Planner. And uh, we're really pumped to have you. Uh, She's an awesome resource for exactly this kind of thing. And so we're gonna pick her brain. But before we do, Jessica, do you wanna tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you ended up in uh, this line of work and how you started Renegade Planner? Well, there's a lot of irony to it, really, because I didn't plan it at all, but it's in the (laughs) name. so, you know, I, I, I have one of those kind of screw the nine to five type stories, right? That are pretty common, but you know, it's really what happened. I was in a position where I was underpaid and not living it. And I had an idea to start a writing company for a long time because I happened to be good at that. And, uh, and I had a business background and a degree in education. And I thought oh, I could teach people how to write. I can do all of these things. Um, and so I just kind of quit. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, I don't have any money, and I and I, yeah, it was weird. And so I just, uh, you know, I said, all right, well, I gotta I gotta do something with what I got. So I took two hundred bucks, I registered my business name, I got some cards, I put an ad on Craigslist, <laughs> and I and people kept asking me for business plans. That's what they that's what they wanted. And so things just kind of. Um, you know, I, I niched it down from there and started focusing solely on that. Um, and it turns out my approach was a little unconventional to the other people around me. So that's kind of where the renegade part crept <laughs> in there. And I just decided to be the renegade planner. I love it. I love that the renegade planner didn't plan at all. Isn't that like the ultimate expression of renegaditude? Can we, can we dub that? Is it, can that be a word? Is that a new word? There's yeah. a... I, <laughs> Do you, I don't know if you guys follow um, Gretchen Rubin, but she's got this quiz, the four tendencies quiz. And you can go mm-hmm. on her website and take it. And like, she's like, are you an upholder or a questioner or something or, or a rebel? And I was like, I don't even need to take the quiz. <laughs> <laughs> I already know. <laughs> this quiz is not for me. I know this information. Yeah. She says a rebel resists internal and external expectations. And I'm like, yep. Yep, right. got it. Yeah, perfect fit and continue. <laughs> That's awesome because it's it's one of these things, you know, when you start talking to people about, um, you know, whatever label you put on it, starting a small business, entrepreneurship, this idea of, you know, breaking that mold, getting out of there. There's tons of people that love the idea. You know, there's tons of people that really, you know, will say that they want it. And there's a lot less people that really kind of <laughs> take that, leap you know and uh and actually just start doing anything and there's such a there seems to be from the outside and there you know has been for a lot of people that i've talked to just a big block you know and uh so you know in the people that you've talked to because i'm sure you deal with this and all the time people come to you with you know wanting to start and there's like a thousand reasons why they haven't but what are the main blocks that keep people from kind of making that that Tiny, huge leap, you know? <laughs> Tiny, huge leap. Well, I mean, the leap the leap is really more important than the planning. But, but I think that you have to decide you're going to make the leap, and then you should make a plan. I mean, that's, 
that's what I do, right? That's the that's the dream I'm selling. Um, but you know, I agree that there has to be a combination yeah. of both. You have to be comfortable taking the risk, but you also do want to do some due diligence and and plan out what you what you want to accomplish. But I think what mostly people are held back by is just fear. And I mean, it's it's time, money, or fear. But time and money are just excuses that people put in front of fear. I mean, that's really all it comes down to is that people are just scared to do it. People are people are scared to start a business. We're still brought up yeah. in you know in Western society. We're still brought up and taught that what we want is a good education and an excellent, secure job, and this is what we should all strive for. And so I think a lot of people, when they they feel themselves being pulled in a different direction, you know, they're kind of stuck between, well, like, do I go with what my gut is telling me I need to be doing, or do I stick with what I was raised and brought up to believe that I should want? Um, and I think that's where a lot of that fear comes into play. People are like, but what if I, what if I resist the expectation? And I'm like, do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be a, a huge thing just for people to have the permission, you know, to have anybody say, you know, what you're saying isn't crazy. Like just simply that role, being able to kind of sit in front of somebody and, and, and it, admit the idea, you know, take it out of the recesses of your brain and say, you, you know what I would love to do? I'd actually love to build this business that does this. And for somebody across the table like you to say exactly that, to be like, that's not crazy. Mm-hmm. No, it's not crazy for thinking that. That's awesome. That's really cool. Well, and I really think that most people wouldn't call somebody crazy for it. But for some reason, we're, we still think that that will be called crazy. And then, and then there's the whole group of people who think their idea will get stolen. And it's like, yeah, give me a break. <laughs> Like by you? Do, do people hold back when they're talking to you? Um, occasionally. It's not it's not common. Like I think most people are pretty comfortable. But yeah, occasionally somebody would be like, well, I really want to share my idea with you, but we're going to have to sign the NDA first. And I'm like, dude, I'm so busy. Like I don't care how good your idea is. I'm going to help you make it happen. I am not going to take it away. <laughs> my idea is this, the thing that I'm doing, which is helping you with your idea. I don't have time to take your idea. <laughs> so when people when people come to you and are like okay i've got you know they they are within the realm of reality let's say what and they come to you with all the blocks and objections and it's mostly just fear other than saying it's mostly just fear is there a, like a a common set of sort of practical first steps that people take to kind of you walking them out of that fear you know it just starts with articulating it like like Chris just said, just getting it out of the, your brain and putting it out there on the table and just, just doing that creates enough of a sense of commitment that the idea can start becoming real. I mean, and so if that's just, if, if you're right there, then it's about verbalizing it. And then it's about um, not being afraid to get a little bit of feedback. Because honestly, I, I believe any idea can succeed. I think some people are totally nutso about how they want to apply their ideas, but they just need to be guided, you know? And, and, and so I, I just think, yeah, I, th- I just think we can make anything work. And so it's just like, if you, you know, first you have to be okay with sharing your, your ideas. Then you have to be okay with accepting constructive criticism and feedback so that you can be positioned to succeed. And, and those are really the, the first two steps. And a lot of people say it's about, I need a business plan. That's the first thing I need. And that's, that's where I get a lot of my phone calls, right? Because this is what I do. I write business plans. So people call me, oh, I've got this great idea. I need a business plan. And I'm like, well, what's your idea? And they can't even describe it. 
Yeah. So, yeah. so we need to so, do that first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, and yeah. often what I think of when you, you know, when people talk about their business plans and when you talk about starting a business, of course, as a planner, as a financial planner, the first thing I think of is, okay, well, I, I hope we all, we've counted all the pennies and we've got all this, like, you can't start something if there's no money coming in. But so to me, that would be a huge block. Like that's the first thing that I would talk to you about is, okay, well, what are we, how are we going to plan this money out? So how do you, oh golly, <laughs> how do you fix that? No, how do you, so people need to be realistic about that. So how do you help them sort of get over the money block or put it into realistic terms or think about it the way they should? Oh, I mean, it's such a huge question and because people th everybody thinks of money in a different way, right? Some people have a scarcity mindset, like I can't put my money into this because if it fails, then I'll lose that money. Yeah. Um, and, and I admit that I, I feel some of that too. Yeah, I feel some <laughs> of that too, right? When I'm like, oh, but should I invest in this mastermind? I don't know. And if I do, and then the money's gone. So there's that that you have to deal with. Um, but people kind of, people either way overdo it and they say, I can never start my business because it's going to cost me $2 million and I don't have $2 million, hmm. right? Or they're like, um, I, I can't start, I don't want to spend any money at all. And they way, way underestimate their costs. So it, yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of funny how you get these two camps of people, but they're both, they're both paralyzed by the same money fears and money issues, right? It's just like, they're looking at it from a totally, from two totally different angles. And both of them are, are, are kind of wrong. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we, so you work, we, we've, I mean, kind of when we were preparing for this show, we were talking about, and when we just go on your website, even, I mean, you work with a huge range of different types of businesses, but then also different sizes of different types. So like small little side service businesses, all the way to like bricks and mortar, kind of enormous to me, seeming enormous businesses. So is there any kind of commonality between all of them when it comes to the way that they have to be realistic about their money or does it sort of segment naturally depending on what kind of business it is? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to, you really have to understand what it's going to cost to do, to do what you want to do well. So with brick and mortar, which is like, that's a large segment of my customers are retail and restaurants, right? And wellness centers and places like that. They, they require physical space. Um, and, and a lot of them come to me with the assumption that, well, you know, I, I found this space is $2,000 a month and it looks like it's fully renovated. So I probably only need to put like 10,000 into it and I can start my company. And I'm like, whoa, hold on. <laughs> like, let's back up the bus a little bit because there's so many other things to consider. And it, it's not that it, I don't want to make anybody feel like an idiot for not knowing, but you know, there's a lot you, you've got, you need working capital. You're going to need more renovations than you think. You need permits, you need signage, you need staff that you can train before you, you like marketing. You have all of these expenses before you open your doors and people kind of, they have to sit with that sometimes for a few minutes and go, okay, well, if I really want this to happen, wow, that $10,000 is not going to get me very far. You know, and we're looking at more in the range of 150 to 500 grand to really, to you know, and I'm like, are you comfortable borrowing that or can you access that kind of cash? And if they're not, then I'm like, I didn't mean to crush your soul, but we might have to look at this from a different perspective. Um, you know, so, so that's, that's really that's a really common thing. And, and so once, once I get them to sort of understand that, like, if you, if you want to do this right and you want to do well, you know, yes, it's going to cost more than, okay, let's just get used to that idea and then explore some options, how we can make it happen. Totally. Cause there's a way, there's always a way. Well, and that's, that's, 
it's such a great context to look at the problem. And I think that, you know, it's money, money is so often seen as something it's like either I have it or I don't have it. It seems impossible to me or it seems possible to me. These kind of on off switches. And I love that kind of you're looking at it always in the context of there's a way there's a lot of ways to look at, at the money problem, but it, it has to start with something that Sandy always talks about all the time about clarity, you know, in, in financial and just like, and that's how we deal with in financial planning a lot. It, it always has to start with clarity. You have to start where you start, like with a realistic idea of where you are and then kind of what you want to build after that. And it's, and it's, it's so, it, it, that would be one of the things, you know, if, there's so many things to know when you're starting a business. And of course there's things that you might not know about yet costs that you might not know and being able to talk to somebody again and just be like, okay, so you've got this down, but you're forgetting about 80% of the things that businesses like yours have to deal with. And then at least you have, like you're going to run up against those costs no matter what. So at least you start from that place of saying, this is the actual number we need to work with yeah. and then kind of working in that context. Well, even, even before that, because sometimes um, even before we talk about actual dollars, it helps to just list out what you're going to need in order to start the business. So mm -hmm. we'd, I don't even attach a dollar sign to it necessarily at the beginning, but I just say, look, you know, if you want to start, you know, let's just make a list of all of the things that you have to have in place. Now, which one of these things costs money? All right. Now let's start budgeting each one of these line items. And when you present it that way, I think, you know, people really come to, to come to grips with the idea like, oh, okay, there's a real investment to be made here. That's Do people have to make trade-offs often? Like here's all the things that would kind of make this happen the way that would be ideal. I don't have all of that money or I don't have all the resources to fill this list. Do you help them sort of walk through, well, you can have this or this, but you can't have both what's more important to your success? Well, I mean, a perfect example of that would be like a retail store that wants to go um, right into a lease space from the get-go instead of building up a brand online. And if they if they can't borrow enough money to get going with the brick and mortar space, well, why not why not start cheaper, right? Like let's let's scale it back. Let's put your brand online. Let's give you a Shopify store um, and start building that building you out that way. Create some cash flow. Start setting your profits aside, and then in a couple of years, you can get to that dream of that brick-and-mortar store. I'm just trying to point out to people that, yeah, you can trade off but still do the thing that you want to do. It just you might have to delay part of it or shift some money around or, you know, just look and at a different strategy. Yeah. And it sounds a bit like, you know, and, and correct me if I'm, I'm just kind of misinterpreting a little bit, but, like, it all kind of boils back to that first thing you talked about, about having your idea clear. If you have a clear idea of what you really want, then, then there's a context to get it. You know, with your example of the clothing store, it's just like, if you want to sell clothes, we can sell clothes. We can get those clothes from you to another person. It may not be in the brick and mortar place right away, but we can get that core business idea up and running, even if it doesn't quite look like you thought it would when, when, we, when we started this process. Yeah, or, you know, I want to start a restaurant. Well... I don't have 400 grand to get my Yale town, that downtown Vancouver beautiful space. Maybe you can do a food truck, which is a great way to, or even scale it back from there. I, you know, I was working with a guy creating a, a unique type of beverage and, um, you know, he wanted $2 million to launch this thing across the country and do all this stuff. And I'm like, that's great. I mean, that's ambitious and I love it. But have you been to a farmer's market? 
maybe yeah. start there, you know, and, <laughs> and let's, let's get some customer feedback. Let's test the viability of the product. Let's make sure that people like it. And then when you're going out to investors, you can say, look, I have this incredible amount of data that I got just from the farmer's markets. And now I want $2 million. Okay. It looks a lot more likely that you'll get your investment or some part of it anyway. <laughs> So that, that's, a, that's another thing I kind of had questions about because I know that you, you've written about this a lot, but about, you know, the idea of, okay, so I want to start this business and we've gone through the exercise of how much money I need and, and let's say there's $500,000 that I need and, I, and, and that's the, the direction that I, that I need to go in for. Can I get started? You know what, you kind of answered the question of whether I can get started with, without having that full amount of money. It's about scaling and, and changing the kind of view of it. But how, um, what kind of options are there out there for people who are looking for financing, looking to kind of, um, to get, to go that route for, for raising some of that money? Well, most people are really only aware of the traditional equity investment options or bank loans, right? And, and so they think, well, I'm going to get a business plan, I'm going to yeah. go to the bank and they're going to give me a quarter million dollars. Well, <laughs> banks are... Banks are very risk averse, right? Like they don't want to just hand off money to startup companies necessarily. Um, so, but it's not that it never happens, but it's just, you know, might not necessarily be the first place you should be looking for funds. So we can yeah. present those two options. Um, but really, I think it's still about two thirds of startup investment is love money, just money from family and friends that you can get to, to help you out. It's, yeah, still two thirds, right? So like look around you and who's in your network? Who can you immediately access for even a small piece of that pie? Um, just, to, just to get started and start developing a prototype or, or getting out there and testing the market or doing something small. Um, so, you know, that's a huge option that I think a lot of people don't think of because again, they're afraid, they're afraid to ask for what they need. Yeah. That's a big piece of it. Um, so we have, you know, then there's there's different types of investment that come come at different phases of business, and I mean we won't get into all of that angel investing and seed investing. Yeah. It can yeah. get very complicated, um, but I think also people don't um, don't consider crowdfunding as mm. much as they could. Yeah. Um, especially because I mean crowdfunding is so cool because it's like it's like pre-selling your product. You know, it's totally. like you, it's so great, and then you just send it off, and then you have this. This uh, this brilliant crowd of, of brand ambassadors to go and tell everybody how awesome your product is. It's obviously not as easy as that, um, but those options are there. <clears throat> Equity crowdfunding is also a thing that's coming into play that more and more people are starting to look at. And equity crowdfunding is really interesting because it's it's uh, the people who are investing are just investing a very small amount of money. And it's just like you or me with 500 or a thousand bucks and an idea that we think is cool. And we throw that, we throw our hat in the ring and, uh, and the investor may never get anything back. I mean, equity crowdfunding is so new and it's the most fascinating type of investment because the investor has no expectation of a return whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool. Um, and, and so that's a new thing that's happened. And I think in, in, you know, over the next few years as it becomes more commonplace, there'll be, you will start seeing exits and you will start seeing people get small returns on it. But, but right now people are just like, wow, you make the best beer. Here's 500 bucks. Like, that's so cool. And then, and then the, the the and then the piece that everybody always leaves out is like, well, how much of this can I actually fund myself? Yeah. 
And if I don't have any money, like I didn't have any money when I started, my, I had 200 bucks. Like yeah. I could have waited six months and saved up and maybe accelerated things a little bit more, but I chose not to do it. Um, but if you need that money, well, how can you, you know, what can you access? Can you sell the half your wardrobe that you don't wear anymore and put it up? I just saw a guy doing that on, on Facebook in a group that I'm in the other day. He was in his closet, cleaning it out, putting half his wardrobe up on eBay to fund his startup. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you know, we talk about that all the time, or not we necessarily, but, you know, kind of in the personal finance space, there's a lot of writing about, like, how can you mash your soap slivers together for a while to kind of stretch your income? The idea that you're doing it for this particular, I'm going to do this because I have this thing I'm going to build. Like, that is so much more, to me, inspiring to sell part of your stuff or, like, really scrimp for all or eat rice and beans for a very long time with the expectation that you're doing that to in, you're actually as you do it you're still investing in yourself i think that's really wildly inspirational well and you know it's kind of funny because we like i have another business called storage warrior and it started with that exact thing was like we were just like we just wanted some extra income and we went to a storage auction like you know storage wars we were like let's go check out check this out and ended up buying a, a locker and i'm serious this really happened we bought a locker awesome. for like 200 bucks and we were like holy shit, there's lots of money to be made in this locker. And then we just kind of started selling other people's stuff to make some money. And today, Storage warriors like, making multiple five figures a month. <laughs> That's awesome. It's such a cool business. <laughs> you can sell your That's... shit and make a lot of money, I'm telling you. Or you can sell other people's shit and make a lot of money, apparently. It's like the second business you started with, like, $200. If That's the main takeaway for yeah. people. Oh, yeah, I know. Maybe they think it's a bad message. I don't know if I should be sending that message. But yes, I did it twice. <laughs> you did it twice, and that's why people should call you. So because they only need $200, and you can help them do it too. <laughs> Make the most of that $200 for sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, That's really, really interesting. And, and so it, it's just so interesting to hear people talk about it that have been through it like it's not this impossible thing because i really do think that there's this big block that you know people you hear stories but they all seem so far away and they they always seem like they're remarkable in some way that they could not be duplicatable you know and so you kind of stand back and you're like well that's their life that's they had something that i don't have and and the truth is 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 that it, it is a possible life. It's not necessarily a life for everyone, but it is a possible life for people that really want it and want to try it and want to start it. And I love, I love the positivity that you bring to it. I really do. Yeah, yeah me too. So as I totally speak over top of you, what, like, so <laughs> given that it's totally possible that there's a whole range of things that people could do, but I really, I mean... I haven't heard you say, and I don't think that you would, it doesn't seem like, never, don't try it. Don't, I mean, it's not for you. So what, if, for people that are sort of thinking about it, that like maybe have this kind of germ of an idea or they have something fully fleshed out that they dreamt up one night, like what would you say? Like if you had one piece of advice for those people, it would be? Fail. Yes. Nice. <laughs> Tell us more. Tell us more, Jessica. <laughs> What's the worst that's going to happen? I mean, seriously. Okay, look, don't, don't take out your whole life savings and throw it at a business and just hope it works. 
You know, if you, but I would, but, but it's okay to, to plan to fail in a way. Like it, it's all right to try it and know that it might not work. And the best way to mitigate the risk of that failure is just to make sure that you've got, you know, if you're really, really risk adverse, make sure that you've got three or six months of your living expenses backed up in your bank account. So if you do fail, you know, nothing in your, like, cause you should, you just like never sacrifice your family, your, your health, your ability to eat, your shelter, like never sacrifice that stuff. Right. So if you, if you can save up some money, have a few months of expenses, allow yourself to do it without that worry of like, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to eat. Then like, if you fail, like who cares? Like if you learned so much, you can just try another thing. There it is. That's, that's really the best advice, um, you know, for human beings in general, but especially for, for people looking to get into this space. That's, that's as perfect a place to kind of wrap up as, as I think that there can be. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. You know, you can find, uh, Jessica's work at renegade planner, renegadeplanner.com. And, um, she's got a really great site, lots of great resources there. I can't encourage you to check it out uh, enough. Um, thank you so much for being with us and we'll wrap up a little bit with, uh, with our normal segment. <laughs> we are so highly. And I know when it comes with the tone, it almost seems like a name. <laughs> so uh, for those who are somehow coming across this episode as their first episode because of me in the third season. The unnamed segment is where we talk about something that we have read or seen this week that we would like to share with the readers. So Jessica, we warned you in advance this was coming and you had a reading suggestion for us. What was that? So it, I didn't read this last week, but I repeat it every week, and it's a mantra from The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, which is an, a book that someone in my mastermind group said, oh, you've got to read it. It's going to help you with your limiting beliefs around money, <laughs> ironically. So I went, I read it, and there's a mantra in this book, and it just goes, I expand in abundance, success, and love every day as I inspire others to do the same. And I just started repeating that, like, all the time and I find it to be the most calming and empowering thing that I can say to myself on a daily basis to just like keep going and seriously when I can't sleep at night I just say it over and over again and then I sleep it's wonderful it works so well <laughs> awesome and Chris what have you got for us <laughs> something so much less inspiring but I still found it uh, still found it interesting it was a uh, an article in the New York Times called uh, one money question to rule them all how much is enough this is, Sandy and I have kicked this question around for a long time. We talked about it today. It's like you kind of boil a lot of these financial things that we think about down to that question. And it's a hard question to answer. It's not definitive and it's a changing question as you go through, but it's, it's at the core of what we talked about today, about starting a business, about making big life moves. Is at the core of kind of both the micro and the macro. It, it's a great piece as the New York Times often is and it's a, kind of a really great take on that that fundamental finance question. So check it out. Okay. I know. And Sandy. Uh, I listened to another podcast today. So the inaugural episode of the Canadian <gasps> Another Paranormal. podcast? Can you believe it? What are we going to do? Don't tell people there are more. <laughs> this is the only one. It's in all the podcast places. <laughs> so I listened to the inaugural episode of the Canadian Couch Potato 
podcast, which is so professional. And um, I've seen their studio actually from the inside because spoiler alert, I'm going to be on it sometime soon. Trader even more. Um, and it's, but this one, um, as we would expect from Dan Bordelotti and Justin Bender, that they are, I mean, they, everything they touch is like, is quality. So today that they talked about, they, um, debriefed sort of the end of the DIY investor service that they used to put on there, right? Like they'll help you set up. Um, and then they talked about Dan has a segment that actually has like thunder and lightning in the background, like bad money advice. It's actually kind of funny. Um, <clears throat> and he did a segment on um, bond, how active, he read something in the Wall Street Journal about how bond, active bond funds are still like you don't want to go to index bond funds because of blah blah. And he just deconstructed it in that really just calm yeah. Dan Bordelotti way. That I mean, he, he's the only one that could do it that way. And then he had another. And then he had a question about that. Everybody, I think we've all heard this a million times. Like, well, why is there why is there one third Canadian equity in your couch potato portfolio? I mean, that's just home country bias. And he kind of talked about that a little bit and about how, I mean, the questions that he gets about that are very different when the Canadian equity market isn't doing so well. So um, <clears throat> if I, that is, a, I mean, I have great expectations for that podcast. If I ever have any spare time after all my, because my podcast listening, I'll be doing that. I just call it a podcast, by the way. I think there's a market there. We're the only podcast. We're not the only podcast. We're really niching down going for the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I think that there's a, a new logo in our future. <laughs> Never fails to disappoint those podcasts. <laughs> oh, awesome. Okay, thank you, Jessica, for joining us. And thank you, so much. Thank you everyone, for listening in. Goodbye. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involved no ads or other sponsorship, be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.